For centuries, humans have been growing alongside our botanical brethren. Our histories have mixed and mingled to bring us modern medical marvels, faded folklore, and everything in between. Of course, in order to understand the plant, we have to start with its roots. I'm M. Grubner Gaddis, and this is Rooted. Hello, and welcome back to our second-to-last episode in the Potion miniseries. This week, we're digging deep into a plant that has been much requested and has its roots in medicine, folktales, and your favorite pasta dishes. It's everyone's favorite allium, garlic. Or, as it's called in the potion, owlet's wing. Garlic, or allium sativum, is a member of the allium family. Say allium literally one more time. Anyway, its famous family members include leeks, onions, chives, and pretty much all other plants that taste like that. Garlic is native to Southwest Asia, but has since spread all over the globe, with tons of different cultivars popping up pretty much everywhere because of how much better it makes just about anything, honestly. If you were expecting garlic to be native to Italy, you weren't alone. And while Italy definitely loves garlic, China is still actually the world's largest producer of the stuff, growing nearly 80% of all garlic we consume. Crazy, I know. Garlic is obviously known for its round white bulbs that are easily split into cloves, which are all lovingly but annoyingly wrapped in a white, papery sheathing that feels unnecessarily difficult to remove? Kind of like little gifts wrapped up with way too much tape. And while the bulb is super important to the plant, and honestly the part that we're most focused on today, it's also important to talk about what's going on above ground. If you were to grow garlic in your garden, or stumble upon a wild variety, you'd see a long skinny stem holding up a bright pinkish or purple or white flower which is really a collection of tiny flowers that form an almost ball shape. If you haven't seen a garlic flower, it's probably because most of them are chopped off before they can even get there, as most people would really prefer the garlic focus that energy on growing a bigger bulb, so they cut the flower stalk, called escape, off in early spring, and then turn them into a delightful pesto, or sell them at farmer's markets, where people go absolutely feral for them. And for good reason. Anyway, back to garlic. Its leaves are thin little blades of grass that also smell like garlic when crushed, making it pretty easy to identify. And there are some varieties of garlic that produce their bulb instead of a flower, which is called top-setting garlic, and it's kind of magical because it looks just like a bulb of garlic on a stick, And I just, like, desperately want to frolic in a giant field of those the way that Julie Andrews does in The Sound of Music. Like, imagine the hills are alive with the scent of garlic. Iconic. Amazing. I would literally never leave. And my dreams aren't as far from reality as you might think, okay? Because garlic likes to grow in adorable little clusters, just like lots of other bulbs. There are two main varieties of garlic hardneck, and softneck, and the kind you choose to grow really just depends on your climate. 
soft neck garlic is a better choice for places that tend to be warmer year-round as they're better able to take the heat and produce a smaller, more tightly packed clove. Most of us are familiar with hard-necked garlic, which prefers much cooler temps and produces the larger bulbs that we're all most familiar with. And before any of you garlic fanatics come at me about elephant garlic, that's a leak, which you would already know if you had listened to episode 17, where we really got into that. Across garlic varieties, they all generally prefer rich, not-too-dry soil and tips that aren't too hot, but they'll take a wide variety of soils if need be. Now, because garlic is such a widespread favorite, it should come as no surprise that it has played a massive role in pretty much every culture to some extent throughout history. We've even found evidence of its presence over 4,000 years ago in Mesopotamia, and King Tut was buried with some. That's how much we've always loved it. With that much history, you ought to know by now that means we have plenty to discuss. So buckle up, because I have quite the journey to take you on. And we're starting off where we pretty much always do, in ancient Greece. Now, there are lots of stories about garlic that we could get into here, but I'm just going to do a quick rundown on some of the most popular to get us started. First, let's chat a bit about the very real ways people were using garlic at the time, even if most of them have proven to be little more than a wives' tale. In ancient Greece and Rome, people believed that garlic was the cure to a wide variety of ailments and might even be the key to immortality. Pretty cool, right? With that in mind, it's easy to understand why they also thought that if you ate it before battle, you would be unstoppable due to all the courage it would bring you. And while I'm not going to say that wasn't true, what I will say is maybe the stink just gave you an unfair advantage, or you were super strong because you ate more food, and therefore had more energy than the plebeians stuck eating under-seasoned mush. Now, these immortality myths had to start from somewhere. And the story I found was that once there was a guy who was super determined to figure out immortality. He worked really, really hard to figure it out, but no one really gave it too much thought. That is, until he actually did figure it out. Then our boy Hades got a little upset because if no one is dying, who was he supposed to hang out with in hell? So he ran over to Zeus and told him all about what was going on. And Zeus, not wanting to see the natural order of things messed up, decided to make it rain all over that guy's notes making them impossible to read, and I guess therefore preventing him from sharing the secret formula for immortality? However, what Zeus wasn't expecting was for the formula to dissolve into the earth, leaving behind a plant that would hold on to its properties forever. Garlic. Now, it's likely because of this myth that people started to leave garlic out for Hecate, the goddess in charge of guiding souls and both causing and curing illness. To this day, it's something witches who do practice with Akate give her as an offering. Another story from the time tells of a man named Odysseus who turned to garlic as a sort of swan song before the infamous witch Circe turned all of his men into pigs. Which, I dare say they maybe deserved? But 
In the story, Circe actually takes pity on these men and, wanting to be a good host, invites them over for dinner. At the dinner, these men proceed to commit party fouls left and right. They're drinking all the wine, eating their salads with dinner forks, swallowing every morsel of food without so much as tasting it, and just absolutely killing the vibes. So, she decided if they were going to act like pigs, she was going to make them pigs. To which I say, go off. Don't let those men ruin your beautiful garden party. And not wanting his men to lose the war, Odysseus knew that he needed to act fast, so he hightailed it over to Hermes, who gave him a clove of garlic, or in some stories a snowdrop, which we covered in episode 8, as protection from the spell, ultimately giving him the power to help get his pals out of their pre-pigging predicament. And this isn't the only story in history of garlic playing a key part in transformation, or lack thereof, from animal to human. Ancient Korean folklore tells the story of a tiger and a bear who dreamed of becoming human. They lived in a cave and spent their days praying to the god Huang, who told them if they stayed in their cave and ate only 200 cloves of garlic and the bundle of mugwort for 100 days, they would be made into humans. The tiger lost his mind after a little less than a month, but the bear persisted for another 20 days and was eventually turned into a human. However, she was lonely, as she had no one else to keep her company. She prayed to be given a child, and moved by this, the god decided to marry her. They had a son, who eventually grew up to be the founder of Korea. And while there are a ton of other tall tales I could tell you about garlic, I just want to quickly shift gears into some of the fascinating folk magic uses for it. Hopping back over to Italy, Garlic was a wildly popular and important plant in medicine due to its purported ability to protect from evil spirits and even banish demons. Now, from what I could find in my research, this is still practiced in some of the more rural areas, but less for demonic banishment and more for parasitic worms. However, I would argue that some of those little shits should count as demons, so we're going to go with true for those two. Anyway, back in the day, it was not uncommon for people, especially children, to get cavities, toothaches, and upset stomachs. But at the time, we really didn't know what caused them, since we didn't even figure out germs until like the mid-1700s. So people assumed that these everyday evils were caused by demons. Specifically, little worms that would crawl up into your teeth or intestines and wreak all kinds of havoc. In teeth, it was believed that the worms would like crawl into your mouth and then wriggle their way right into the middle, leaving a big hole in the tooth, and anytime there was pain, it was because they were performing tiny little demonic rituals in there, spreading their evil throughout your whole body. And in the stomach, well, some of that is because there were real parasites, but a lot of it was those same little wormy guys just absolutely hexing your guts. Now, I know what you're thinking. Surely they had to have something figured out, some way to treat that, and that's where garlic comes in. Garlic was and is known for helping to clear the body of unwelcomed guests like germs, parasites, and in this case, demonic worms. To do this, the person suffering, who was usually a child, 
would wear a tiny sack around their neck filled with garlic and other healing herbs. Then, a church elder or medical practitioner would recite a prayer while shaking the child upside down to hopefully loosen their demonic grip. Then, the child would drink a barley-honey water mixture, which would hopefully make their guts harder to grab back onto for the demons, and then, the practitioner would make the sign of the cross three times over the stomach, then massage the guts, before finally mimicking the motion of scooping out the tiny demonic worms from their bodies. But removing parasites, demonic or otherwise, wasn't the only way garlic has been used in spiritual practices. In fact, in most pagan traditions, garlic has been used to protect homes and ward off the evil eye. This is typically done by hanging a dried bunch of it in a door or window, with the idea being that the smell alone will keep the evil spirits at bay. And the thing is, this actually makes a lot of sense when we look at the science. Garlic has proven to be a powerful antimicrobial and antiparasitic, so it really is helping to keep some of those bad actors at bay in our bodies. But before we get into the chemistry, let me answer a question I am sure you're dying for me to answer. Why do vampires hate garlic so much? Well, if you assumed that it ties back to the whole protection from evil spirits thing, you aren't wrong, but you aren't totally right either. It turns out that what people were pointing to as vampirism might have just been porphyria, a blood disorder caused by a buildup of porphyrins, which are tiny little chemicals that make up hemoglobin, and when the body has too much of it, things start to get a little Dracula-esque. People look pale, with deep bags under their sunken eyes, and it can even make their teeth, especially their canines, look larger because their gums actually shrink and then recede, leaving those living with it to kind of look a little bit like vampires, but less in the sexy teen fantasy way and more in a vaguely like Nosferatu way. So really calling these people vampires was just a mean historical diss. And adding fuel to that fire, people would point to garlic as something that those suffering with this disease didn't like simply because they were unable to eat it, as doing so would cause their body to just be even more inflamed and cause a ton of pain. So not only were people already bullying them for looking a little bit different, but also because they just like literally couldn't eat tasty food. I know. But all of that meanness hasn't stopped the legend of vampires, or their hatred of garlic, from spreading across books, films, and even old-school cookbooks. While we still don't have a cure for porphyria, there are still plenty of other things that garlic can help fix. As we discussed, garlic is an amazing antimicrobial, so good in fact that it was even used to treat and prevent the bubonic plague. This is due to a chemical it contains called alanin, which comes from an amino acid and is then converted into allicin in our bodies. This chemical not only gives garlic its distinctive smell and flavor, but helps to kill bacteria and parasites by blocking their cells from reproducing, thus stopping them in their tracks. Even if they're resistant to other, more common things like penicillin. So next time you're feeling a little bit under the weather, don't be afraid to really load up your soup with plenty of garlic. 
even if it does make your sweat a little stinky from all the allicin. Aside from helping you get over a cold faster, garlic is also known to have blood-thinning properties thanks to adenine, an antiplatelet found in garlic that prevents aggregation and can increase the effect in aspirin, warfarin, and other blood thinners, which is why it's typically suggested that folks avoid super garlicky foods before and after surgery and if they're already on those medications or have a blood clotting disorder. Initially, in Middle Age Europe, garlic was considered a peasant seasoning as it grew fairly easily and abundantly and was therefore way easier to access than something like pepper or any other super fancy spices. However, this actually was less so the case in England, where their food was so bland and plain that everyone lovingly embraced garlic as the hot new sensation that it was, and started adding it to pretty much everything. But if modern-day cooking blogs have taught us nothing else, it's that pretty much all dishes from that area could use way more garlic than they put in. Anyway, eventually, with all of the conquering, garlic spread far and wide, lending its flavor to pretty much any savory dish you can think of. Now, on to another rabbit hole that has perplexed my brain for ages. Why does garlic sometimes turn blue when it's being cooked with? Well, as it turns out, the answer's not super complicated. This only happens when garlic is being cooked with something that's acidic, and the enzymes in the acid cause the allicin to oxidize, turning it that wonky shade of blue. And while it's definitely a little weird, and maybe even a little off-putting at times, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the garlic. It's still perfectly fine to eat, and should taste exactly the same. But if the blue bothers you, try mixing your garlic with something a little more basic first, or at the very least with something that can protect it a bit from the acid. So now that we've covered all of the subtle ways that garlic is adding magic into our lives, let's talk a little bit more about how the heck it actually fit into Macbeth's potion, shall we? Historians believe that the most likely candidate for Alet's wing was either ginger, because it kind of looks like a wing sometimes, or garlic, because its cloves also kind of look like tiny wings, I guess? And it was one of the super common herbs at the time, so it just kind of like makes sense that it would be in a potion, I guess. Bearing in mind that this spell was supposed to attract pure evil, and not repel it like garlic would typically be used for, I would guess that it's maybe intended to be in there as an offering, or to give whatever spirit they're summoning a bit of extra vitality. Though that is certainly not canon, nor would it really make a ton of sense given what we know garlic actually is said to do in witchcraft. Now, admittedly, I didn't do a deep dive into every practice of magic out there, so there may be some spells or traditions where garlic could be used to aid in attracting some kind of big bad, but none that I found. I could probably go on for hours about the fabled facts and true histories of garlic, but for now, I hope you've enjoyed learning more about a plant you probably use every day, or at the very least see all the time. There are so many interesting traditions that I couldn't quite get to, 
so I wouldn't be surprised if we revisit this one at some point. But until then, I'll leave you with a few of my favorite places and topics from this episode for you to explore. The first is Gateway Garlic Farms. They are a really lovely brand and actually play a big part in the garlic festival that happens in St. Louis every year. Such a fun and nerdy festival for anyone close enough to check it out. Next is basically the new Carrot Museum in my heart, though nothing will ever replace that site for the gold that it is. This one is called Garlic Escape. Get it? Garlic E. Scape, the thing they produce. Whoever wrote that, a genius. I love them. I'm obsessed. And there are so many puns all nestled into a delightful blog that's dedicated to the wonders of garlic the world over. A true must-visit in my book, if for no other reason than to bask in someone else's unabashed love for something. And after that is the demonic toothworms, of course. And if you're my friend in real life, you've already been forced and subjected to hear about these things literally forever. But if you want to go learn more, you should go check out the episode from Tea Time Oddities that I will link in the show notes. And if you haven't listened to the newest crossover I did with Friend Diagram, please go check that out. We watched Annihilation, and you can watch along with us like the movie night you didn't know you needed. You can find part one on my feed and part two on theirs. Also want to give a massive shout out to Kat for taking on editing the show. It's part of content creation that I really struggle with, and I feel super lucky to have her on my team. Hopefully you've all noticed the magnificent improvements already. That's probably enough plugging for one episode, but I'll be back next week with a super fun finale to our Potion miniseries. Catch you then! If you like the show, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rooted.Pod, we're on YouTube at Rooted.Podcast, and you can check out our website, RootedPod.com, for transcripts, updates, and so much more. Special thanks to Eric Cluxon for writing and performing our theme music, and of course, a special thank you to all of you for being here. Until next time, be kind to yourselves, be kind to the earth, and just like a plant, drink your water. <laughs>